On last week's episode of Motorsport 101, I made a bold prediction that Sebastian Vettel would win the 2017 Formula 1 World Championship and double down on this by saying he'd win the opening round in Australia after slipping back into my ways of the Ferrari narcotic. I promised that if a Ferrari didn't win in Australia, I would apologise openly on this week's episode of the podcast with a concession speech and an apology to the background music from Mad World. So I, Andre Herman Edgar Harrison, would just like to say... I ain't apologising for nothing! Roll it! Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to episode 79, and I'm still kind of on a high from all this. <laughs> I'm Andre Harrison, and welcome to episode 79 of Motorsport 101. Uh, still don't quite know what to say after what was a um, eventful, yet also quite uneventful weekend in Australia. More on that in a minute. But uh, in the meantime, let me introduce our guest as always, Mr. Ryan King. <laughs> yes, yes, glad to be here. My boys finished one, finished two and three. I, I say boys as in they're like drivers from Mercedes, not because they're like my actual boys. Yeah, I was gonna say like 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 since since when did you get back on the Hamilton wagon? Is, is, is this two thousand? Is, is this two thousand and seven again, King? <laughs> back when he was a nice uh. boy from Stevenage. <laughs> Those were the days, weren't they? <laughs> And in the blue corner, representing Tennessee, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Good afternoon, good day to you wherever you are listening to this podcast on a beautiful insert day here. Um, so, so that race was certainly a thing. Definitely worth staying up for and then going back to sleep and then watching again with your father <laughs> uh, in the morning as soon as you wake up. Yeah, that was that, that was pretty much me. Like I, I got up at six in the morning knowing I had a thirteen hour shift at work to go to, and by five PM that afternoon I was dead on my feet. So I had to like for for those that don't know, I hate coffee. I had to drink like three cups of coffee to get through the rest of that shift. It was a long day. And I was kind of burnt out from celebrating Sebastian Vettel's greatness. Um sorry, his 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 his, his decent, solid, respectable win in Australia, which um surprised everybody <laughs> but uh, it was a crazy thing it was a crazy thing right general housekeeping first let's get it out of the way if you can find us on motorsport101.net our website and of course all our social media we're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and if you'd like to follow us on twitter personally we are at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell and at ryan eric king that's with two k's and if you really really like us you can back us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 and uh good news we crossed the 100 dollar a month oh, mark yeah, on patreon we, Woo! we hit 100 we're, we're, we're triple digits but um yeah as my sister waves to me from the bedroom window outside slapping her bottom that's uh not <laughs> at all. um <laughs> She's just trolling me right now. You know what eight-year-olds are like. Anyway, as I was saying, we have crossed the $100 a month mark on Patreon, and that means I will be promising weekly Google Hangouts shared on YouTube, guaranteed to have at least me on there, and who knows who else from the Motorsport 101 family could be on there at some point as well. 
and um, hopefully, again, less screenshots of my face are taken in in the meantime. <laughs> less is an but, interesting uh, way to pronounce more. No. I, stop. I do not want this happening. The last it's, time it's was the, bad enough. It's the most beaming smile on the internet, especially after this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Make it stop. <laughs> but yes, that is definitely a thing. But um, it's it's it, it it was justified with good reason and um, <laughs> oh yeah, know what the podcast cover is going to be for this week because Sebastian Vettel actually won a race. Oh no, <laughs> King! If you dare, are you pondering what I'm pondering, brain? <laughs> King, if you do this, I swear to God, I will fly to New York and fight you. <laughs> Hey, speaking speaking of choreographed fighting, um, there's there's a lot of that happening this weekend. Yes, for keeping it 101. Unfortunately, I'm stuck with two wrestling fans, um, as you do. Although I must admit, I was a big wrestling fan back in the day. Not so much now. I can't. I, like I follow too many people to ignore it at this point <laughs> on on the Twitters and on the social medias. And all of that. So uh, yeah, it's WrestleMania this week. This weekend, you guys, hooray! The one yes. wrestling trivia that everybody tunes in for, even if they don't watch wrestling. The showcase, the showcase of the immortals, the grandest stage in sports entertainment, Flo Rida's biggest annual payday, WrestleMania, otherwise known as WrestleMania 33, otherwise known as WrestleMania Sunshine emoji, emanating <laughs> from the Citrus Bowl Stadium. In Orlando, Florida, it will be on April 2nd. Chances are it will be going down or will have already gone down by the time you're listening to this. We are recording on March 27th of 2017 and WrestleMania 33 will happen on April the 2nd. And it will probably be, it will probably take up about most of the day. Let's be real. <laughs> it's, it's, it's getting, a, it's getting to be a bit of a drag. Uh, King, are you excited about this? I'm excited about about half of what's gonna go on at WrestleMania. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, we have uh, we have some interesting matches. We have some that could be good, some that deserve to be main event caliber events, and some that will basically be um, real life finishers only matches from SmackDown. Here comes the pain. <laughs> I was just about to make that reference. Damn. <laughs> and interestingly enough, it features the same two broken OP as heck wrestlers from yes. Here Comes the Pain a decade plus later. That's right. Your main event of WrestleMania 33 will be Brock Lesnar, former UFC heavyweight champion, against Bill Goldberg, the man who once held WCW's longest undefeated streak to open a career. I am very nervous about this match because in case you have been living under a rock uh, for the last couple of months now, uh, Goldberg is back in pro wrestling. He has had a couple of matches. They've not been very long, bell to bell. Um, and it's uh, it's starting to rain on people. Uh, in the other quarter, you have Brock Lesnar, who uh, shows up just about as infrequently as Goldberg does. Um, has looked really awesome at times, but... When he is not booked effectively, it showcases the deficiencies of his abilities uh, nearing 40 with a history of illnesses that have ended his pro MMA career. He uses, 
Yep, he <laughs> uses less moves on a match to match basis than John Cena, but don't don't suplex tell that. <laughs> suplex City, bitch. <laughs> In fairness, because... it's, it's all you need if you're booked to be a credible threat. Um, yes. So so that's so that is your main event. We have other intriguing matches. We have pretty much all the belts on the line. Well, we should event. we should also mention that this was a WrestleMania match. In the past, before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. WrestleMania 20, wasn't it? Oh, yes. So let's rewind the clock to 2004 when Brock Lesnar and Goldberg were booked to have a match at WrestleMania 20 in Madison Square Garden with Stone Cold Steve Austin as the guest referee. And the crowd just shit on it because they realized that Lesnar was going to quit to go try and play for the Minnesota Vikings. And Bill Goldberg didn't want any more of the WWF at the time after his one-year deal had expired. The crowd took both wrestlers out of it, and they just didn't really give a shit. Uh, that was that was pretty bad. So here we are, about 13 years after the fact, and we're probably not going to get much of a better match. Not because they might not be invested in it, Lesnar Goldberg, but because they may have maxed out their abilities. Bill Goldberg turned 50 this past year. Lesnar is already in his 40s, or will be later this year. Ah. <sighs> And it's seemingly, if you read the reports, it seems that, that Goldberg literally has not got the cardio to work more than maybe five minutes. I will say this as the internet's resident Goldberg fan. I don't see this ending well. I think Lesnar's just going to pick him up for an F5, pin him in 15 seconds, and that's your main event of WrestleMania. Yep. But I, I, for one reason I think that they decided to head this way is because of the UFC, that the UFC has basically gained mainstream popularity because you can watch some of their quote-unquote best matches in less than an Instagram video. Right. right. Ask, ask Ronda Rousey. <laughs> ask Ronda Rousey, ask Conor McGregor when he is on song, um, and, you know, personally, I like fighters that can finish fast, but the problem is with, with mixed martial arts and pro wrestling, it's it's two entirely different ball games. In pro wrestling, mm-hmm. you want it to be drawn out. You want to tell this long, evenly matched story of two wrestlers who go through the peaks and trots and valleys of a 15 to 20 to 25 minute match. Because that's because that's entertaining. It's it's a different kind mm-hmm. of entertainment in combat sports than mixed martial arts. And boxing. Yeah, I mean, like to to bring this back around to motorsport, like. Was it last year or the season before where uh, Luca de Montezemolo said, oh, that young people don't have attention spans, they sh- we should make the races shorter, and, like, the yep. amount of backlash against having the races be shorter. Maybe they would be more entertaining, maybe they wouldn't be more, like, more entertaining. We wouldn't know, but the immediate backlash is like, no, we don't want the races to be shorter. Yeah, I, that was last year. I, I, I do believe that was last year when Luca said that, and then he got universally shat on by the F1 Twitter sphere, essentially. And, and, and um, if you'll recall, yeah. this is part of what inspired NASCAR to do their innovative three-stage format, which um, I'd say it's fine. Uh, it's brazenly anti-traditionalist, but it, it's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But hey, you know, at least you guys seem really optimistic about this main event, though, right? Right? 
right? Uh, we seem more optimistic about the other matches that are going to happen, like Bray Wyatt mm-hmm. versus Randy Orton for SmackDown's World Heavyweight title. We have two women's title matches between Raw and SmackDown. We have Kevin Owens versus Chris Jericho. For oh, the that, US that's title probably right. yeah, that's yes, the match that's that I'm the match waiting that for. Arguably, that's the match that should have been main eventing for the Universal title, in my, in my honest opinion. With, with yeah. how well that story has been told. It's really one of the few cases of Raw actually telling a good story on a week-to-week basis, and even that has had its moments of being very hit or miss. Hell, let, we're, let me, even, let me, we're even invested in a Mitz tag match involving John Cena in The Miz in 2017. Yeah, as, as The Miz does his best CM Punk impression over the years, and John Cena is now the full rich guy who will never be fired so sod it i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want and fans actually love him now it's great (laughs) fans love him because he's embraced that he is the like fans love him because he's embraced that sides of him that the fans didn't like about him which is like the most like what I love it. I like, like I love that John Cena pretty much broke wrestling's fourth wall at this point, and everybody kind of loves him for it. I think it's tremendous. Yeah, yeah. Fans, <laughs> fans hated him because they thought he was a corporate shill. He started acting like a corporate shill. Fans love him now. Just, like <laughs> wrestling is uh, weird. Okay. <laughs> also, wrestling, I have a wrestling sit- is very weird. Like <laughs> yeah. y'all, look uh, at also, all the guys that are up and down this card who are like the dominant darlings of the independent scene like six or seven years ago when I first got back into pro wrestling and now mm. they're near or in the main event of WrestleMania. That's freaking well, crazy. I saw a picture a few years ago because like I was a wrestling writer around 2008, 2009, 2010 and seeing people like Sami Zayn, formerly El Generico and seeing, you know, Kevin Owens, AKA Kevin Steen, who guys who cut their teeth on Ring of Honor and PWG and you know Chikara and you know every independent promotion you can think of, and then seeing them there like in the same ring as people like Chris Jericho, Triple H, you know WWE legends of the last twenty years or so, like that is such a, a weird, cool, awesome thing to see. Like seeing AJ Styles in the WWE ring back in the days when he was carrying TNA on yeah, his back he was in the late Mr. TNA. <laughs> He was Mr. TNA, and he is universally loved and applauded by everybody now in the WWE as recognized as one of the best wrestlers, if not the best wrestler yes, on the planet. Yes, is, he is really one of the best wrestlers in the globe, one of the most well-rounded talents. There is certainly nothing flat about his game, which he will take into the ring with him against Shane McMahon, yeah. who, will do, who will do crazy things that a 47-year-old non-wrestler <laughs> executive should not do, but we'd love him for it anyway. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's he, going to jump off the stage and kill himself. Yeah, Yay! he's, he's going to jump <laughs> off all the high things. <laughs> they're going to have, they're gonna have a match on the Incredible Hulk ride at Universal Studios. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just going to be the match. I love Shane. I love Shane because he will literally kill himself for that company, and it's a, it's a, it's such an honorable thing to do. What I really hope he does is that he pulls to one side and, and he end up seeing Nakamura's main Raw debut at WrestleMania. Oh and have eight, my and, goodness! And have eighty thousand people hum his majestic theme song. If I, if they do that, like I may have to just like pull my trousers down and relieve myself that because would, that would be amazing. Yes, <laughs> that would be former New Japan Pro Wrestling top superstar Shinsuke Nakamura who signed with the WWE last year and 
as of today, is rumored to be making his main roster WWE debut very, very soon. I hope it goes well. Please let it go well. He deserves it. He deserves it. You, you didn't let me. You didn't let me have Kota Ibushi wrestle. Ibushi wrestling for the cruiserweight title. You gotta give me something here. He's too busy back home in Japan firing fireworks out of his crotch. It's tremendous. <laughs> I love, See? I love Kota Ibushi. Ibushi, I love my Golden Star son. I love DDT Pro Wrestling. The only wrestling company where a blow-up doll is a main event player. <laughs> Says it all right there. Yeah. Wrestling, everybody. I mean, what? Last week... What two weeks ago in Austin at their local promotion, Wrestle Circus, the wrestling subreddit won won a championship. <laughs> Let's no, no, no. <laughs> like Dre, Dre, I gotta tell you, it was probably th- this this belt, the the sideshow championship that they have there is essentially it's it's like the old hardcore title where it's it's a twenty four hour it has a twenty four hour rule, so it's defended around the clock. Right. So, so how, how about so how did a subreddit exactly win the belt? This is what I want to hear. I want to hear the context behind this. So I did hear this story. Yes, a, a wrestler who won the title that night decided, oh, I'm gonna post the submission to to the wrestling subreddit, saying how excited I was that I won the championship. Well, oh, no. you just submitted to the subreddit, so therefore, the subreddit <laughs> won the championship. <laughs> That is magnificent. <laughs> that is fantastic. I love it. A subreddit won a wrestling belt. Wrestling is weird. I love it. Now I, chal- now I challenge our squared circle to put their belt up on the line against our Formula One. <laughs> I, I, I am willing to take one for the team. I will fight the squared. Cir- I will fight the squared circle subreddit for the rights to their internet championship. Right on. I, I, I pack a mean super kick, you guys. Seriously. <laughs> what? Why don't you guys? Why aren't you guys agreeing with me? <laughs> I, 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 think it's it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Pro wrestling. It's 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 still very much a carny visit business with its own uh, skeezy side. But goodness, it can be so fun. It can yep. be so fun. <laughs> WrestleMania is going to be fun this year. I got a good feeling. I hope it doesn't suck. Please don't suck. Please be worth my twenty-four. Um, consecutive days of the card being stretched out, and somehow Pitbull <laughs> is going to have like an eight-hour set. Lit. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Hey, we, we might get Flo Rider back out here again for another year, like we had a couple years ago. And hey, we might have John Cena come out with Machine Gun Kelly again. That would be great, oh. wouldn't it? <laughs> Your reaction sounds so positive to this. This is also, there's also a match between the internet's favorite wrestler, Roman Reigns, against The Undertaker, and I believe that this would be the only time in history where I am fully in favor of The Undertaker reincarnating his biker persona from the early 2000s. Come again? (laughs) And why would that be, RJ? um, Because Roman Reigns, the big dog, the big dog with the big fight feel, um... He has been challenging the supremacy of the Undertaker um, and the and the territorial status of their uh, their yard, um, mm-hmm. and that just brings back memories of the time where Biker Taker would always boast about the ring being his yard. Mm-hmm. So I so I am fully in favor uh, for this match for the Undertaker to pull a bait and switch and to just roll out to the ring with his Limp Biscuit theme music um, and his <laughs> bandana and his sunglasses and his shitty trench coat. From that era, 
and that would oh be my that God. would be the best time. Two thousand and one. Good lord, that was a long time ago. Jesus Christ. Hey, that's actually not a bad idea. The problem is, is that isn't he like fifty years old now, Taker? Are we sure he can still actually go? <laughs> no, no. Keep it kayfabe. He's deceased. He's the dead man. <laughs> oh, he has he has a regenerating device from from parts unknown where he where he comes from. Clearly, it's Death Valley. <laughs> parts unknown is the ultimate warriors territory, y'all. Wasn't that Cain as well? Uh, yes, I believe so. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. Uh, just ten miles down the road from Dudleyville. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Only so, yeah, on the that... Motorsport 101 podcast will you ever get concise discussion of both pro wrestling and motorsport. It's a good time. Yep. Yet we're still, according to the internet, the third most popular show on race car Twitter. And that... that... That struck me deep in the soul, RJ. It struck me deep in the soul. <laughs> we have to do better. We have to. We have to talk more random shit, you guys. <laughs> oh dear. We'll we'll, we'll we'll find a way to get better. Um, but uh, honestly, I didn't have much for keeping it one on one this week. Just saying, if you haven't watched last week's last night's Top Gear that came out, because we're recording this on Monday, the twenty seventh. If you haven't done that already, please go out of your way to do so. It is great, and um, it's an outstanding episode, one of the best of the series so far. The Bugatti Chiron with Chris Harris. Um, minor spoiler, Rory Reed playing Pac-Man with a Renault Twingo. Um, seriously. <laughs> with Sabine, who is just awesome in every way anyway. Why, why can't it be next Sunday right now so they can show it on BBC America? I've got last yep. week's episode on the DVD, on the DVDR. Uh, and listen, a yeah, brilliant... already flubbing. Yeah. <laughs> And a, and a brilliant race across Dubai with Chris Harris in the Bugatti Chiron versus Matt LeBlanc using every form of rich transport you can think of, including the brand new Ducati 1299 Superleggera, which was last unveiled by Casey Stoner a couple of months ago, and it is basically a 220 horsepower superbike that can go from 0 to 60 in 2.5 seconds and reach 199 miles an hour. And it will probably rip your face off. Delightful! It's a it's a it's a really really fun time, y'all, and um, I highly recommend you see it. But there is one other thing that came into my that I wanted to talk about, and that was well, you guys know I'm from London, and many people know that I'm from London. And if you've watched the news in recent times, it's not been the best of weeks for our hometown. We suffered nothing short of a terrorist attack outside the Houses of Parliament. Crazy guy. Runs over about 50 people in a 4x4, tries to break into Parliament, stabs a police officer who sadly was has since passed away from his injuries. And he again, he, sh- he was shot by, by armed police at the time. And um, I just like, I would just like to say that um, on, on notes of that, because I know people have asked me for my opinions on this, because I know Shaky Byrne, the uh, four time British Superbike champion, who, um, and his wife Petra was, was talking. Um, about this on Twitter and saying that oh, this guy should have been shot. Why? Why? Why is like? Why is there ambulance crews around him trying to help? And uh, I was just like, as a, I've been a fan of Shaky for a while, and this was just such a bad take. Like the 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 because he like Simon Patterson, who was a great bike journalist, tried to tweet them both saying, listen. Because he's still someone suddenly, because doing that is showing mercy is what makes us better than them. Shaky's response on Twitter was, are you for real? Showing mercy is what makes them think they can terrorize, or in his words, terrorist us in the first place. Stick to MotoGP, mate. 
you may have already noticed I wrote something about this on for day 23 of my 1330 on motorsport101.net. And I would just like to say to, to him and to people like Katie Hopkins who have hopped over to Fox News saying that London is scared and, you know, we're a city divided and we don't know what we're doing. No. Fuck off, okay? <laughs> London is one of the greatest cities in the world, and if anything, the last week has shown that we can band together like no other city can. We are not scared, we are not afraid of terrorism, and if you think you can terrorise this city, you are wrong and you will fail. And to people like Katie that just goes out there saying things for hot takes, I don't need to talk about her, she's a waste of space. But to people like Shaky that thinks like, basic human compassion should be ignored because one crazy guy goes goes off. That's a terrible attitude to have, and I was very disappointed that someone that's the global face of a brand like that is is saying really just ignorant things like that regarding what was a huge tragedy. So, that pissed me off no end. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get that one out there as well, because just, it's it's not been a good week for my home city, and uh, yeah, just, just bad takes all round. We've been here before on this show, but um, I'm not a fan of, of said takes, but um, I think the course. most I think the most important thing is that you and everybody else that were we're connected to in London is all right for, for from our understanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's obviously it's an awful thing. Five people died, over over fifty people injured, and um, of course it was a terrible thing. And what I hate most about it, obviously apart from the deaths, is just the media coverage has been so bad. In the sense of we like to victimize people, like the Daily Mail, like taking a picture of a Muslim woman walking past the scene of the accident and saying, "Oh, why wasn't this person being helpful?" of what she was actually doing was she was she had already checked to see if people were okay called an ambulance and she was phoning her family to tell them that she was okay but of course the narrative is oh look she's in a headscarf she's a muslim woman is she actually supporting this attack and that was a national newspaper posting this it's just terrifying rhetoric like that which is embarrassing and that's kind of the state of journalism in this country now where everybody's got an agenda everybody's trying to paint an entire religion like there's the problem and unfortunately you still got folks like the bbc that are basically glamorizing incidents like this where they will repeat the footage of what actually happened on numerous occasions and they will blow it up have 24-hour news coverage and everyone's going to turn themselves into journalists by reporting things that may not necessarily be true and spinning agendas. And I think it's a terrible thing. And it's that's what it's like these days being a journalist in, in, in this city. And I just hope that we can take incidents like this and learn from it and be better more than anything else. But uh, gosh, what, a, what an annoying, what an annoying, what a terrible week. But hopefully it shows the good side of London as well as sometimes the very bad side of it. Because... When something like this happens, people like Nigel Farage and Katie Hopkins chime in, and it's like it's the same old shit. Like, oh, it's immigration, it's this, it's migrants doing this, migrants doing that, and you know we got to sh- you got to close the borders down, and you know we got to stop these dangerous people coming over the border. Even though the guy was British born, but hey, sh- don't let the narrative kick in. But it's, it's, it's just shit like that. It's just really annoying. But uh, ugh, I think I think I've, I've spoken enough about that. Let's. I think we should talk about some slightly brighter stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I got I got one story. I got one story before go on. we start. Oh, go, okay. That's bright. That is also the top rope. 
that also happens to be from Australia, about 130 kilometers northeast of Melbourne, is actually one of the last surviving cars from the 1914 French Grand Prix. Yeah, I heard about this story. One. Yes, one, this, this of, really cool. one of the Delage S-types from that race that finished 8th place in the race over the years somehow got to Australia. It, it avoided getting scrapped during for resources during the First World War. But 100 years later, 2014, uh, its engine case cracked and it essentially... Yeah, essentially ground to a halt, consigned to a mechanic's garage in this town, Castle, Maine. And... Uh, Obviously, being a hundred years later after the car's heyday, there's no replacement parts for it. So, mm-hmm. I think earlier, earlier, I mean, late last year, earlier this year, they were able to uh, laser scan the engine cast and 3D, 3D print a mold. So, they were able to essentially recast a new engine from basically just laser scanning the broken engine block. And they were able to recreate the engine block in a computer, re- like three D print out the bowl, recast it, put it in the car, and the car is now fully operational again. That is magnificent. That is absolutely fantastic. Wow! So that's, that is a one hundred year old race car. Jesus Christ! Right. And ended up ended up in so it ended up in Australia. So does that mean it's going to f- turn up as a barn find in Forza Horizon Three at some point? <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish. I certainly hope so. But man, this is this is big news, um, especially for some of these older cars as parts start to run out and case they start to fail. That they can that they can use the technology available from three D printing to help restore these cars. It's this was the first of project like it of this scale from what i understand and i yes. have a feeling that it will not be the last especially as this technology continues to advance yeah that's, especially that's some really of the astounding. yeah especially some of the pre-war cars not the pre-world war ii cars but the pre-world war one cars from car companies that you know ceased to exist when the first world war broke out so there's like there's no man there's no technical manuals or anything the only thing that they have to go by is the cars themselves <laughs> wow so yeah, it's one of those things where that, that that could be crazy. Just just seeing these cars restored. I mean, again, RJ summed it up brilliantly. That could be a great precedent being set here to maybe save older cars in the future. You you can now, if you haven't got replacements, you can just literally build a new one. That's really neat, actually. That's a really really cool technology there. So that that's really awesome. Nice nice little extra dose there, King. Speaking of Australia, is, I think it's time we talk about the Australian Grand Prix, don't you? Yay. Yes, 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 yes. You did it. Your boy did it. Yes. Yeah. Gr- grudgingly, grudgingly <laughs> your boy Sebastian Vettel won the first race of the 2017 Formula One season. Shoot your motherfucking shot, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. 
is this is Baron Davis from 89 feet out draining it. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. I, I, I just, oh, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe that. Like, I, I, okay, I, I, I shot my shot on that one, and it's. It's it's become like my little magnum opus on Twitter now. It's my moment of Twitter immortality after basically calling my shot and then getting getting the win. But deep down, I really didn't think that was going to happen. Especially after qualifying, I thought, okay, Merckx has still got a quarter of a second on us. It's a big ask. But watching that race, like, it's real. Ferrari's pace is real. Yes. This is not a catfish. They actually are quick. Like, Merckx weren't kidding on this one because i remember i remember the friday practice Merckx told the german press they reckoned at best case scenario they might have a tenth on ferrari and they said worst case scenario with three temps behind them what was craziest about that to me at least king was that sebastian vettel pretty much controlled the entire race like that's just ridiculous in this era like we have, we've not seen mercedes pushed around like this before <laughs> Yeah, from, like, the early post-mortem reports I saw from this race was uh, not that Mercedes lost the race, but they don't really know how to fully utilize the, the new low-degradation Pirelli tires, so they can't, mm. they can't get the, the same speed that Ferrari can get out of them. It's weird. It, it, it was crazy to watch, because for those of us that haven't seen the race yet, or maybe weren't fully tuned in, like... Both guys started on the ultra soft. Hamilton, you know, got a very good launch. Vettel about the same. He had to hold off Bottas into turn one, but he did. The top two were, were broke free from Bottas very quickly, but Hamilton could not shake Vettel off. Like the gap was never more than maybe one point eight seconds or so. But basically, from what I noticed, Ferrari was going so fast. Hamilton had to go at a hundred percent to keep to, to keep to keep the gap how it was. Hamilton butchered his tires. He had to come in on lap 18, and Vettel was able to go on for a good four laps longer. And that was what probably won Ferrari the race, because Hamilton came out behind in clear air on the soft compound tyre compared to the ultra softs. But he was pegged back behind Max Verstappen. So basically, Hamilton said after the race, listen, we had to stop. Like, the tyres were gone, basically. Um, as he, he could see it because Vettel was reading Hamilton in on that final lap before the, before he came in. But basically, Ferrari pretty much bullied Merckx into forcing a pit stop. Like, that's that's essentially what happened. And after Hamilton gets caught behind Verstappen, can't pass him, Vettel comes out ahead, the race is effectively over. And Total Wolf becomes a meme. It's great. Oh, <laughs> he becomes a meme because Toto Wolf beats his fist against the table because I think at that point right there, he knew the game was up. And Vettel goes on to win the race by 10 seconds. Hamilton just did not have an answer for him in terms of pace. And if anything, he was coming under pressure from his own teammate towards the end of the Grand Prix, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, RJ, like, this is a shock. Like, I, 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 th I think... Even the biggest Ferrari optimist, me, has to openly admit, I don't think we expected Ferrari to be this good out of the box. No, no, I didn't expect this at all. Um, after qualifying, I would have, I would have guessed that Vettel's really, really his only chance would be if Hamilton bottles the start. Hamilton did not Hamilton. bottle the start. Mm. Hamilton got a great start, uh, mm. but Vettel could not. Vettel did not let him get away, even though 
at at a certain point around the five to ten lap range hamilton did pull out of the drs zone but he was using up his tires when i Mm -hmm. first watched it a couple times over i thought that mercedes were trying to go for an undercut i had no idea that hamilton had already just completely shot the tires and as ferrari were leaving vettel out to do more laps out on the track i think a lot of us were kind of thinking right this is where ferrari just butchers the strategy call by leaving him out too long and yep. this will end up very, very badly. Uh, my father said this when we watched the race back on Sunday morning, that this was not going to work out. But hold on. It turns out that Ferrari had a, had, a, had a strategy in mind because they saw that Hamilton was getting held up by Verstappen in the dirty air, and they let Vettel continue to run fast lap after fast lap on the ultra-stop tires, which still had some life left in them. And that turned out to be the, mm. uh, the crucial point. He was able to get out... Uh, meet the delta that he needed to get out ahead of Hamilton. And then once he had gotten out ahead of Hamilton, he just strangled all the life out of the lead of this race, as he is known to do. There's hardly ever been a better front runner in F1 history than Sebastian Vettel. If he's in the front and in clear air, he's incredibly difficult to beat. But the, like, I'm not the biggest David Croft fan in the world. I've made that clear over the years. But he did come out with a very gem of a commentary line around lap 23 24 or so where he said i spoke to one of the guys in the pit group in terms of strategy he said that the overcut was clearly the way to go the way albert park was playing out and the person who said that was valtteri bottas's race strategist (laughs) yeah tony ross tony ross that like tony ross like that was the guy that said the overcut was clearly the way to go and Yep, he was more right than he realized. Jock Clear said it himself after that. He said, "Listen, that this was always the plan. We were always going to go. We were always going to try and go longer than Mercedes did, and it worked to perfection because the top the top two couldn't break off enough of a gap early on to clear Verstappen's Red Bull, and um, yeah, it effectively cost Hamilton the win. But yeah, a simple case like Vettel just dominant. Vettel just just took complete control of the race from there on in." And as I said at the end, I mean, King, like, what was what was up with your other man's here? Because Valtteri Bottas, I think, was very impressive for a first Mercedes debut there to be to run pretty much line astern to Hamilton, the, especially the second half of the race on the super soft on sorry on the soft tire where he was legitimately faster than Hamilton was. Yeah, like that was a lot better than I expected. Like I expected him to finish third, but I didn't expect him really to even have a shot at you know beating Lewis. He was right there. Like, you see him coming over the line. Like Bottas was in Hamilton's DRS range as they were coming over the line together. In the second half of the race, like Bottas had regained all the time that he'd lost to Hamilton in the in the ultra soft stint at the start of the race. So maybe Bottas's ultimate pace isn't quite there. But on the soft tire, whew, man was man was quick. Man was very quick indeed. So. Well done, Val, on that one. A very, very solid Mercedes debut. Third place and, you know, gave Hamilton a good a good fright, which, you know... Yeah, no, no, it, was, it was what... It was, I believe it was the NBC Sports announced team that had remarked that Botas had a window of opportunity to get the tires up to temperature in clean air that Hamilton did not have. Uh, mm. He was able to run longer on his first set of tires, which helped him out in the back end of the race. And... Really, Botas just had a sterling debut, for, given yeah. the circumstances. 
that a lot of people were writing him off saying that, oh, he's clearly a half second behind the great mighty three-time champion Lewis Hamilton. This is a wake-up call to Valtteri Bottas to, to put him in his place. And it didn't quite shake down like that. Nope. Only three attempts behind in his first qualifying session with the team against arguably the greatest qualifier this sport's ever seen in Lewis Hamilton, who's now, I think, only four behind the all-time pole position record. And then in the race, legitimately faster in the second half. So I don't think Bottas could have asked for much more than that, given the circumstances. I mean, I know he was split by by Vettel in qualifying, which obviously wasn't ideal. Because I think, hey, if, if Merckx gets a blocker in front of Sebastian, then they'd probably win that race. But Bottas was able to go long on the ultrasofts, ran it long, was able to run eight laps less on the soft tyre than Hamilton did. And it, it, it bared its fruit towards the end of that one. So... A very intriguing, you know, strategy called up the front and Ferrari actually getting it right for once as opposed to shit in the bed, as we saw last <laughs> year, which I'm not salty about at all still. But, but um, you don't it... have to be anymore. No! Vettel no, broke it's... the 27 race long winless streak. His first win since Singapore 2015. This is also the first time he's led the points since the end of the 2013 season. That's crazy. Like he's, it's been over three and a half years since the last time Vettel led the championship. That is mental. Also, it's the first time in this hybrid era that Mercedes do not lead the constructors' championship. Yes. Wow. Yep. Yeah, because because of Kimi Raikkonen finishing fourth, Ferrari are four points ahead of Mercedes with thirty-seven compared to Merck's thirty-three. So this is the first time ever that Merckx has not led the Constructors' Championship in this hybrid era of Formula 1. And I think it's Ferrari's first time in general leading the Constructors' Championship, I think, since 2013, which just kind of says a lot about where Ferrari have been as a factory all these years. But uh, it looks like Sebastian Vettel is uh, in, is giving the team some hope because, boy, Raikkonen, 22 seconds off his teammate in a 57-lap race. It was about mm. as quiet and anonymous a fourth-place finish as you could get. Still a productive one, but still mm-hmm. kind of anonymous. And the same really yeah. could be said for Felipe Massa and Sitz, who was the last car on the lead lap between... Uh, who was right behind Verstappen at the line at fifth. Yeah, I mean, King, come get your mans. Like, I know, I know, <laughs> I know, you, Paddy, I know you're a big fan of Paddy Lowe, but... He was the guy coming out before the Grand Prix saying that Williams has got potential to be better than Mercedes. We just haven't found it yet. That was his actual quote. Like, oh. King, come get your man. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Don't know what they're growing down over in Grove. <laughs> it's certainly like, not oranges. No, certainly but, not um, spoiled oranges that uh, sound like rocks in a dryer. I think it's the uh, I, I think it's more the case of the Brackley is shedding the shipment of their grass um, over there basically to uh, cater towards that unit over there at Williams bless them because boy Philippe like they said that oh like it was it was imp- I think Paddy said after the race it was important we stayed with the top three while finishing with Felipe Massa who was a minute and twenty three seconds off Sebastian Vettel's winning race time. Oh dear! It was, yeah, it was it was a productive weekend for Williams from Massa's side at least, and he was consistently in the top ten in most of the sessions, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. But it's clear that they're still quite a significant step behind the top teams of the sport, even still. Definitely, definitely. But it looks like, for at least for now, they're a step ahead of the Force India threat of last year, 
given that they were scrapping for the minor points. And, you know, it is a Ooh, bit concerning. they scrap it. Yeah, that was the that was probably the highlight of the Grand Prix. We involved both of their drivers. We had Carlos Sainz and and Sergio Perez fighting all race long, pretty much. Uh, Sainz trying to follow Perez and just not successful. Perez had arguably the move of the race where he goes around the outside of Carlos into turn three, um, slightly brushing the end plate of Carlos Sainz' front wing, but getting away with it as you do, and um, also the rather spectacular free wide over the line between Nico Hülkenberg, the dying McLaren of Fernando Alonso, and Esteban Ocon, who congrats to him and RJ's man, his very first point in Formula 1, a 10th place finish before Zinius. Congratulations to Esteban, the first point is always the sweetest, as they say. So RJ, this is about you get to look smug, don't you? <laughs> oh, uh, a little bit. I mean, I was, I wasn't even that upset about him overtaking Alonso because I'm, I, I feel invested in Esteban's future. I, I think that first <laughs> points finish was going to be the first of Manny, and for Force India, this is a team that does not traditionally get out of the box well. So to see no, him coming away with seventh from Checo and tenth from Esteban Ocon, uh. That was pretty good, especially given that they probably didn't qualify where they arguably should have. They were mm-hmm. around the middle of the grid or there or thereabouts. Um, but they did get points out of both of their drivers. They, they're they still, it's like I keep saying, once you count Force India out, they always manage to find a way to keep raising the bar for themselves. Yep. It's a very a very solid start for them, and a very solid start from Toro Rosso as well. Also getting both of their guys in the points. I think it was Carlos Sainz eighth, and Daniel Kvyat ninth. Danny Kvyat. started an Australian Grand Prix. If the Chicago Cubs could win a World Series, Dan Kvyat can start an Australian Grand Prix at Melbourne. This, despite the fact that his fire extinguisher went off before the race. What the heck? <laughs> he did his best Pierre Gasly impression. <laughs> it, was, it was great. But uh, Kvyat, who not only did 35 laps on the ultra-soft tyre just for shiggles, he also tried to set the fastest lap of the race because that's what Daniel Kvyat does. Sebastian Vettel is clearly his hero. Russian like, you know, machine I'll... never breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I want that fastest lap, which apparently everybody wanted that fastest lap because at one point Bottas had it. At a random Vettel tried to take it back, and then it was Kimi Raikkonen in the end that took the fastest lap of the race award. His 44th of his career, may I, may I add. He's second all time for, for race fastest laps. There's your random fact of the day for you. Kimi Raikkonen likes going purple. Just speaking of going purple, just how miserable a weekend was it for Daniel Ricciardo? <laughs> oh, it was bad. It it was very bad. So let's rewind this back to qualifying where Daniel Ricciardo is making his first lap in Q3. He loses it in Sector 3 of the track, goes back end first into the tires, and has to incur a gearbox change, uh, putting him down on 15th on the grid in total, which he would have started if not for the fact that the car got stuck in sits gear on the siding lap. I just... I, I just despair. I mean, like, God was 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 telling Daniel Ricciardo, you are not finishing this race, no matter which way you like it. So, unfortunately, as a result of that, Ricciardo had to start the race two laps down because, and props to the Red Bull team for fixing the car so damn quick, but they got him out there two laps down, basically more as a testing session, really, for Ricciardo more than anything else. And then... The engine dies about 20 laps from the end, and Ricardo, in front of his home fans, 
has to park it. And uh, bless them, they took all the selfies in the world afterwards, but uh, Ricardo's radio quote of, yeah, let's just get the fuck out of here, basically, <laughs> <laughs> sums it up better than I think anybody else could. Uh, oh, poor Danny Rick. Just not a great home weekend for the man at all. Poor no, it, it seems like Australia has usually not been kind to their hometown drivers since Mark Webber's miraculous fifth place finish in a minority <laughs> Asia Tech in 2002 on debut in the first yep. race of what was a three race contract, mind you. But ever yep. since then, it's not been smooth sailing. Um, an Australian driver has not had an official F1 podium finish in. In a very long time, at least. Maybe ever. Jesus. That, that, that's not promising. And I know that Mark didn't have the best of luck in Australia sometimes either, to say the least. So, uh, well, especially in the later days anyway. But, uh, yeah, an awful, awfully unlucky weekend from from uh, Daniel Ricciardo. But one of the big takeaways from this race was definitely just seeing how these cars cope on track in a race scenario. And um, King... The overtakes be plenty. Not. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, overtakes were few and far between to be actually seen on track. Like, I think the official count is somewhere between two and four, depending on what your definition of an overtake is. Right. Um, most, most sources, including um, Forex.com, uh, have it listed as two overtakes after the first lap, for position and not as the result of a car ahead pitting. Um, right. Sean Kelly, who is the official statistician for NBCSN's F1 coverage, counted four. Now, keep in mind that those may be overtakes where the car was eventually repassed by the end of the lap, so they may or may not count. Usually they don't. But even still in that range, on a track that is not essentially well-known for a whole lot of overtaking, even with two, R- two DRS zones... Uh, that has people, that has a lot of drivers and has a lot of fans worried for the races to come. Is this justified, King? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's fairly justified. I'd say wait until we see it, see the cars on a purpose-built circuit, but I'd say for the most part, I think this is what the rest of the year is going to be like. I mean, it's not terrible. Like, the cars... The cars still race fairly close, but it's hard mm-hmm. for them to get around each other. Like, they can get close, but once they get into that, you know, pocket of dirty air, they really can't advance unless, you know, the forward Point car... Seven. Yeah, unless the forward car makes a mistake, there's DRS, or they really, like, they really get a good run on them. Or dive bomb the shit out of them, Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean... It seems the what from what I know, it seems like point seven seems to be about the sweet spot. Anything, anything that's like closer than point seven and the dirty air really starts to get you. But according to guys like Nico Hulkenberg, you're feeling it from as much as two seconds out. Right. And, and Sergio Perez backed this up, saying, um, "If before one point five seconds gap was enough, probably now you need two seconds to the car in front to get out of the turbulence of the dirty air." And we kind of had a feeling that this was coming uh, because we've added a whole lot more downforce, a whole lot more aero, and that creates turbulence, and that makes it harder for the cars to overtake each other. Even the DRS zones didn't seem very effective. Of course, yeah, the, really. the counterpoint to this is that um, it was it was ironically that lack of overtaking that resulted in uh, 
and the race really turning in Ferrari's favor because maybe if mm-hmm. it was easier for the cars to overtake, maybe Lewis Hamilton does eventually get around Sebastian Vettel after that pit stop. But who knows? Yeah, it's, it's see, as King alluded to, Albert Park has never been the best overtaking track in the first place, and that's something you got to bear in mind. There wasn't a whole lot of passes last year's at last year's race either, for that matter. We associate Australia more with being a race of attrition because there's a lot of mechanical problems. It's the first race out of the box for these guys, and a lot of them haven't perfected their engines or whatever it may be in their cars yet. Um, what I would also say on top of that is, is that, yeah, like we should have seen this coming. Like we've added four seconds a lap of downforce to these cars. I mean, the qualifying was insane. I mean, I think the pole time was something like what was it, twenty-one eight from Lewis it Hamilton? A, it was a one twenty-two one. That was the Jesus. fastest ever qualifying lap that was recorded. The race lap is still. Uh, a couple seconds off of Michael Schumacher's fastest lap from 2004, but we did see the fastest official pole time for an Australian Grand Prix at Albert Park Circuit. That's and astonishing. If you, if you watch the lap, it's nuts. It, like the, the cornering speeds on these cars are now absolutely insane. Some, in some places, they're going literally 10 miles an hour faster through the yes. apexes. That, like, if you, like, I think Sector 3, for example, where you're taking... Like turns nine and ten at like a hundred and forty miles an hour, and you're doing like like the last corner before the chicanes. That that's that's hundred and thirty now. Like that's insane to me that they're going around that corner that quickly. And the onboards they're visibly faster, and it is insane when you watch it side by side just how much faster the apex speeds are. That's crazy. And of course, there's a pocket of F1 fans that will go, oh yeah, like this is great, we want the cars to be fast, we want this pinnacle of tech to be a thing. On the downside, you can't also have it where you have that as well as, you know, fast cars that can, that can race each other close. Like, you, it's hard to have both of those things go on at the same time. So, you can't really have your cake and eat it on two on this one, really, can you, King? Yeah, it's... It's more of, like, you have to choose between whether you want the cars to be extremely quick and still race well with each other. Because it was on the podium, Sebastian Vettel told Mark Webber, who did the podium interviews, and that was also really cute, by the way. Uh, that, uh, he said that, yeah, yeah, you can push a lot harder on these tyres, and you can, you can push more, and you can go flat out more. Did that make a shred of difference to the quality of this race? No, it didn't. <laughs> Not one iota. So, but hey, guys, I hope you got your wish. Oh, by the way, with these chunkier tires now and all this extra grip, expect a lot of one stoppers. Just throwing that out there, because like I'm pretty sure almost everyone who was in the points, I, I think besides Daniel Kvyat, I think they were all running on one stoppers and. We're going to be seeing a lot of that this year by the looks of it because yeah. Pirelli have made a tie that doesn't really degrade. <sighs> right, and um, let me just point out, um, after the Chinese Grand Prix and the Bahrain Grand Prix, we have these next three rounds in succession. We have the Russian Grand Prix at Sochi, which has a lot of long straightaways, but that's really the only places you can pass. You have the Spanish Grand Prix at Barcelona, where there was famously the 1999 race, which had a grand total of one um, overtake for position past the first lap. And then you have Monaco, which is almost way too damn narrow for Formula One cars in 2017. All those races back to back, they're, they're, 
I'm not saying that you need um, a whole lot of attrition or rain to really spice these races up, but if the races at Albert Park uh, prove, if this weekend proved anything, is that it's only going to highlight um, where it's already tough to pass and just make the problem even worse. And if it's and if it's going to be a dull race at tracks like China, China and Bahrain, where you at least are guaranteed like slam dunk DRS passes down the front straight away, yeah, uh, that's not going to be good. I've already heard talk that they're going to bring the China DRS point further back on that home straight to try and get some more passing going. And that's already a pretty generous DRS zone, given it's only about a third of the way down that enormous 1.1-kilometer straight that China has. Apparently, they're going to pull it back. um, I'm hearing maybe 200 yards further back, like almost on the exit of the long, sweeping 270-degree right-hander you get coming out of there. So I think the the FIA are already worried about potential lack of passes in China because turn one isn't really all that viable. Um, So it's going to be, again, as RJ says, a slam dunk pass into the back, and that literally might be it. Um, I'd like to see a DRS pass into maybe turn three instead of the home straight. That could be interesting because was, because we did we did see a couple of nice passes there in the last few years where turn three is legitimately viable as a as a passing spot if if in the right scenario. But if you want more passing, you, you've got to kind of tell Pirelli to make a, a more degradable tire because it's, it could be the tires that make the difference in these scenarios as well. But the tire wear issue is gone because. As we, as we said, Kvyat was able to go 35 laps on the Ultrasoft tire with no real penalty for it. That's 60% of the race distance. On, on the softest compound tire you bring to a Grand Prix. That's a problem, you guys. That is a problem. Yeah. And that's and that's the tire that Formula One um, asked Pirelli to make. And these rule changes were put into effect 11 months before Liberty Media took over, who might have different ideas, but they're going to need time to put them into place to try and make the cars um, race better, if that is indeed their attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, this 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 could be a recurring theme of this season. We'll see what happens in China, because I think, to be fair, our man here, Mr. RJ O'Connell, said himself it was always going to be China and Bahrain before we get a real look at how representative these cars are, and I agree with him on that. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out, yeah. but it was not a promising sign, going by what happened in Albert Park. Couple of things to talk about. How good was Antonio Giovinazzi, you guys? Very, very good. King, um, hold on. I think I think we're missing uh, a li- a little chunk of the story of how yes, um, Antonio Giovinazzi ended up racing in the Australian Grand Prix at Melbourne. Tell them about your man's. Yeah. Yes. Was yes. Pascal Verline withdrew himself from the Australian Grand Prix. What after free practice two? Yep, yes. late Friday, late Friday night British time. We got that one in about about one in the morning. I think it was. <laughs> yeah, he felt uh, he basically withdrew himself from the race, despite being cleared to participate by the FIA, and he essentially felt that he wasn't physically capable of completing a Grand Prix. Well, not physically capable, as in like he didn't have the physical stamina to finish a full race distance. 
Remember, these cars are pulling about an average like one G extra G through the corners than they did last year, and I believe it was I believe it was Grosjean who said that they were pulling up to eight G at one point, which is just ridiculous. So That's you, insane. You, yes, that is why these drivers were working on just increasing their strength training in the off season, as opposed to just limbering down to try and make the minimum weight that you need to. Um, yeah, yeah, because simply put. Like, 8Gs is fighter pilot shit, basically, <laughs> to say the least. And, yeah, Pascal, who, by the way, in case you forgot, already had to deal with that race of champions injury, which meant he couldn't train as much as the other drivers in the field because he was still nursing his back. He only came in for the second test. Um, so he's still effectively playing catch-up. He's only been given, I think it was three weeks to, of fitness as opposed to maybe the three months you would get from the other drivers in the field. So Pascal withdrew himself on late Friday night from the Grand Prix. Sauber respected his decision not to race. So on Saturday morning, and the man thought it was a prank at the time, Antonio Giovinazzi says, he's been told, wake up, you're filling in for Pascal for the weekend. On Saturday morning. (laughs) On Saturday Uh, morning at a track that he had never driven before, uh, and a car that he had basically had one week in testing. (laughs) And he almost makes Q2 and finishes the race. I think it was in 12th place, yes. I want to say. He, he yep. finished 12th in the race. He was the top finishing rookie ahead of McLaren Honda Stoffel Van Dorn. Um, he had very entertaining scraps with the other rookie in the field, Williams Martini Racing's Lance Stroll, who retired due to brake issues. Um, just given the circumstances, he looked... Very, 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 very solid and deserves pretty much all the praise that he was getting. Uh, we He was easily the most outstanding rookie in, in recent Formula 2 slash GP2 series memory last season. And mm-hmm. there was a fair argument to be made that he deserved full-time seats somewhere on the grid. Um, if not with Sauber, then maybe a team like the now-defunct man or somewhere else. Um People have been very high on Antonio Giovinazzi's talents in the last 12 months, and I think he really proved that. He became the first Italian to grid up for a Formula One race since 2011 with Vin Antonio mm-hmm. Liuzzi and Jarno Trulli. He was also the first, first new Italian to race in a Formula One event since Liuzzi debuted back in 2005. So that is an illustration yeah. of how how dried out the Italian talent pool the F1 has um, been in recent years. And Mm -hmm. obviously drivers have had opportunities to get that high and they just didn't work out. Ask Raffaele Marcello and Mm -hmm. Davide Balsecchi for more information. Mm -hmm. Um, This was a good result. And I I said he was going to get in the points. I called my shot just before the race. I, I said oh. I, I don't I don't know I don't know how he's gonna get it, but I know he's gonna come away with points for Sauber. Okay, so he finished twelfth. I didn't Close. I, yeah. The shot ended up hitting the backboard and bouncing right off of right off the backboard and missing. It it could have oh. been worse. It could have ended up in the tenth row of the seats and smacked some dude in the face. He spills his beer and his popcorn all over and just looks like a mess. RJ, you're you're the guy that asked Eugenie Bouchard out on the date. It, it went well, but you didn't get the second date. That that that's what basically happened here, mate. Good effort, hell of a try. <laughs> and, if I, and if I might say this, um, Sauber might be wise to put him back in the car in China, since it was in China that Giovinazzi made his single seater debut 
in the Formula Pilota China series, which he won back in 2012. So we so he has some pretty good ties to the continental Asia region, let's just say. Maybe he does yeah. get another shot. Maybe this is a one and only race of the season, but if this race was any indication, it seems like he's a good candidate for a Formula One drive in 2018 on the full-time basis. Indeed, and I have to I have to add in here as well. The biggest compliment I can pay to Giovinazzi is that he looked like he'd been draped. He looked like Marcus Ericsson. He looked like he'd been there for four years already, and that is about as good a compliment as I can pay him. Is that he looked like he didn't look like a rookie out there? He drove very well indeed. He he showed good defensive driving out there as well. He was on the hard camera a lot, given the uh, space in, in the leaders and the early going. We got that a race, battle so. for the rookies. Yes, it was for 14th place and no points, <laughs> but who cares? The rookies got camera time. This Yay! Is good. This is good. This is good. Ugh. So, uh, shout out to shout out to Giovinazzi. Superb first weekend in Formula One. Let's let's hope it's not the last. Um, great job from Antonio. There, great job indeed. And um, on the other end of the scale, let's talk about Jody and Palmer a little bit. Oh boy, <laughs> hmm. yeah. Jody and Palmer, who was because he, he's he's part. He's a little like. Chat part of the Channel Four crew, where he's he's writing about you know he feels bigger, older, wiser for this season, and uh, you know looked decent in free practice one. He wrecks the car in free practice two on the last corner. Uh, not really a place you'd expect a car to go off, if if we're being honest. Wrecks the car. It's rebuilt for free practice three. Palmer throws his team under the bus for being eliminated in qualifying. Claims that the car had not been rebuilt properly. <laughs> Just, after qualifying 3.3 seconds slower than his teammate Nico Hulkenberg. I believe the is... Daily Hit Mail headline for this story would be Angry Palmer Blast Lazy Renault Fat Cats for Delivering Poor Car to Jolian Palmer, British Hero. <laughs> and Twitter universally crapped on Jolian Palmer from a great height. And I can't say it wasn't unjustified because... King, I don't know about you. I actually think Jolian Palmer's a decent guy. I just think the way he talks sometimes, it's like he's asking to be roasted. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes you can't be that honest. No, it's like... No, it's like there's, there's levels to this. And I mentioned this in my race review that I put out there on, on motorsport101.net today. And the point I wanted to make was that why is it that Jolian Palmer gets buried for being too honest about his team, and yet we always give Fernando Alonso a pass and laugh it off when he does it about Honda constantly? I guess that's what happens when winning two titles gives you a pass from throwing your team under the bus. I, I, I just find the double standards there to be quite hilarious. But in any case, poor Jolian Palmer. Oh dear. Just uh, not the best opening weekend from him either. And any Alonso fan who writes in in protest can kiss my ass. You know the point I'm trying to make here. <laughs> the man has thrown McLaren so much shade in the last two years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And everyone goes, oh yeah, we agree. Like, Nando deserves a better car. And it's like, so why have we not all universally crapped on the guy that turned down Mercedes for this supposed crap, sh this supposed crap McLaren? When Alonso said after the race himself that they would have been running dead loss if everybody was running after responding to, well, I think he finished 13th in the end. Yeah, I, 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 think, I, I, think, I, I think he retired just a few laps short of the end, which, by yeah. the way, Fernando Alonso running 10th until like the last handful of laps of retiring, um, that was a lot better than what we'd expected out of McLaren Honda this weekend. 
qualifying 13th as well would not have had him that high up the field this early on. So for me, for all like for me, it seems like McLaren like it's unreliable, but it seems to actually be have it seems to have decent speed when it's actually operating properly. Yeah, but I mean, uh, like Mark Webber told the press that he doesn't think Fernando is going to be there the entire year. Quote: Maybe Fernando is not there the whole year. Maybe Stoffel has a different teammate at some point. Fernando might not do the whole year. You never know. He's frustrated. He doesn't want to finish sixth or seventh. Maybe points for Stoffel is quite nice. Fernando is not interested in points. <laughs> Yet he turned down the best team in Formula One. I'm tired of these fake news stories, man. Like we we had like two of these like earlier in the year, right? I don't know if you saw this a couple of weeks ago, but I think it was Damon Hill who was talking to NBC, and Damon Hill said, "Oh, Hamilton might quit halfway through the season if he's just too disillusioned with F1." What? <laughs> what? For, for motherfucking what? I mean, like, Hamilton quitting F1, that made zero sense, but, like, Fernando leaving McLaren, that could, like, be something that, that makes, makes more sense. sense but yeah. even still, at least on the surface, it seems like he's committed to bringing McLaren back up from the depths of the mid-grid hell that they're in, and also Be- he's got at yeah. least eight figures worth of reasons to stay. Exactly, and, and <laughs> like, apparently he's making 30 million a year, King. 30 million. He's making bank. Even though I'd argue, what the hell does his agent's 20% pay for at this point? (laughs) (laughs) In any case, like... (sighs) Fernando, you don't get to play victim when you're turning down better drives. On the other hand, you did at least outlast both Haas Ferraris. Yay! Which is a damn shame for Grosjean, because he was running in a very nice 7th place when... um, I think he had some sort of engine fire in yeah. there, poor guy. And again, like again, Haas was, was was on for a really good. I mean, Magnussen, I'm sure. I think he was in the points as well, wasn't he? When his engine conked out. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I mean, just, Grosjean just had fake. Haas's best ever start, sixth place. Yeah, he had a superb qualifying session to to even put the car in sixth. I I mentioned that Haas like seemingly had a fast car underneath them at full chat and it looks like they do but again the reliability stabbing them in the heart there just a just awful luck for the Haas yeah. team there both drivers retiring from point scoring positions just uh, not ideal at all there yeah. but um, it's at least for McLaren the optimism if there is any in this is that the car seemed to be fairly quick before the um, before the engines may or may not have conked out on that one which is a shame but, uh, you know. Yay, Sebastian Vettel wins his first race in 18 months. It's lit! Yeah! yeah it's you did it's it. fucking you did lit! It. Yes! Shoot your shot, ladies and gentlemen. Shoot your shot. Number also, 43. Uh, number 43 puts him two clear of Ayrton Senna, puts him eight behind Alan Prost on, at 51 for third on the all-time wins list. I'm um, scrolling through F1's Twitter page right now, and they're putting up some interesting factoids. 1,625 days. That was the last time a Ferrari driver led the Drivers' Championship. That was Fernando Alonso back in 2012. 12. 12, yeah. He had a 45-point lead mid-season. Sorry, Ajo. <laughs> oh, dear. But like this, this was the Warriors' 3-1 lead before that was even a thing. <laughs> it was. It really was. And that wasn't really Nando's fault either, but... Uh, 
Poor guy. What can you say? Quick rundown of the full result. Sebastian Vettel winning by just under 10 seconds from Lewis Hamilton in the end. He was only 1.3 ahead of Valtteri Bottas coming over the line in third. Raikkonen in a very lonely fourth place in the end there ahead of Max Verstappen, who had the least Max Verstappen race of all time, but finished in a solid fifth place. Well done him. Uh, Felipe Massa was the last man on on the lead lap. One minute and 23 seconds behind. But where's that potential coming, Paddy? Hmm? 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 In sixth place, hey, it's still a pretty solid result for Williams in the grand scheme of things, given where they've been the last couple of years. Sergio Perez, Checo doing Checo things in seventh place, ahead of Carlos Sainz and Daniel Kvyat. Double points finish for Toro Rosso. Very underrated result there to get both Toro Rosses in the points on the opening race. Very nice and promising sign indeed for Toro Rosso. Esteban Ocon, as we mentioned, Great result from him. His first F1 point in 10th place ahead of Nico Hülkenberg in 11th. Very unlucky to have just missed out there. A great first drive for the team for Hülkenberg. Ahead of Giovinazzi in 12th for Sauber. And Stoffel van Dorn, the last of the finishes in 13th. Ahead of Fernando Alonso, who had an engine problem, lost all power. Magnussen, similar deal. Lance Stroll, as mentioned, brake problems. Ricardo, whose race never really got started. Marcus Ericsson, Jolian Palmer, and Romain Grosjean also all failed to finish the poor guy. But uh, one more thing before we wrap up this segment about the races and whatnot. I have to say, are we on for a title fight here, guys? Because, like, a lot of the British media, TV presenters and all that jazz, they were all in on this. Like, it's Hamilton versus Vettel, you guys. We've waited years for this day. (laughs) Are you guys buying this yet? Uh, um, I'd wait. Ask me, I, ask me after China. After ask me after Bahrain and China because I believe that um, on these more purpose-built tracks that will actually go a long way towards showing not just how well these cars will race together, but also how well Mercedes and Ferrari match up on the tracks that will comprise most of the calendar. Australia is known for throwing up a few screwballs. This race was no is. different. Um, mm-hmm. If if Ferrari are still this good. Um, after China and after Bahrain, I think we'll have a clear picture of whether or not this title fight is still on. Yep. Hashtag cash me on Monaco. <laughs> King. If, never. Never again. <laughs> oh, my. What is wrong with you? <laughs> RJ, come get your mans. Like this is this this is a this is a this is a dark day for the podcast. Oh my god! <laughs> what was that? I was gonna say I was gonna say though that like and I gotta give a shout out to friend of the show, Wee Zoe, um, Zoe Hamilton, who's now on the Grid Girls full time. Shout out to her, she's great. Um, for mentioning on on Twitter, like how conflicted is the British press gonna be on this? Given that they've made Formula One the Lewis Hamilton show the last three years. And now, like, the internal conflict is like, do you want to make it all about Hamilton, or are we going to go all in on the, it could be a title fight this year, you guys. It could be a competitive F1 at the top again. Nah, gonna- nah, nah. This, this is what Fleet Street's going to do. Fleet Street is going to be, the red menace is coming. The threat to British dominance is at the no! end of an empire. I have just three words for you. Ferrari International Assistance. <laughs> no! As if, it, as if it were a thing back then, it's gonna come back. We're gonna cripple Mercs, bruh. No T-Wings allowed on your car, fam. We're bringing <laughs> Ferrari back into this. It's been too long, y'all. It's been too long. 
But yeah, seeing the Fleet Street uh, confusion is going to be quite funny over the course of this year. And it was Zoe who made that original point, and I completely agree. It's going to be very fun to see how the British media molds this into being the Lewis Hamilton show again. Or whether they go all in on the... Ooh, do we have a title fight here? Is Ferrari competitive again? Are we going to get a great season? Because apparently... The Brackley boys are pissed that they lost this race. <laughs> like, they promising back home in Brackley. They're promising an immediate response in China, basically. They are mad that they did not win this one. So uh, They're going to equip kinda... a quake disruptor to the, to the, to the Mercedes, <laughs> just like wipe out Excel. <laughs> quake. Fire the quake backwards and knock the entire field out, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be fun to see. Like, I, I just suspect, like, a press conference is taking place, and Toto just walks into a microphone and says, It's like, I, Toto Wolf, with immediate effect, ban any weekends at Brackley headquarters at Mercedes until we can figure out what's going on. <laughs> dot, 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 or we employ Jolie and Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> employ my son or else. <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. So King, have you decided who you're going to back in Formula 1 hit this year? Uh, no, still on the fence. I thought it was going to be like slam dunk for Botas, but... Oh, that, that Vettel kid. He, he's looking sharp. <laughs> have you turned into a Lizzie on this one? Are you just like... You've just gone broken and gone full glory hunter at this point? Uh, I, again, again, I didn't say... I was saying he was looking sharp. I'm still undecided. This is going to be the running joke for the year now. Who's who's King's boy going to be now? <laughs> like, so, so, like, RJ, are you going to adopt Giovinazzi too, or are you, are you set up to the Ocon for the year? Um, I'm I'm just going to adopt the whole field. Adopt Everybody's the whole great. Field. Everybody's uh, great. I I, I, I have RJ no Ocon, I have no loyalty to my bushy-haired, uh, two-time Spanish champion son anymore. Why? I, I don't I don't know. I, I just I have lowered my expectations so much that I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna enjoy the show. I'm just gonna enjoy the show as a whole and not get worried about rooting for anybody in particular until it comes down to crunch time. RJ, this show's far more fun when a boy eats shit. You know this. Oh, oh that's right, I forgot I can just I can just stand for Force India all season long. <laughs> my two sons! You got me <laughs> points with your pink cars. Don't ever do bikini model photo shoots ever again. Uh, I oh, was oh, oh. so proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> See, I told you, it's far more fun this way. <laughs> it's far more fun this way. But God, like the the pink Force India is a gorgeous thing. Actually, now it's out there in person. I love it. I love the the, the drivers' marks on the timing towers are in pink. I I love that. I, I I said to myself I would happily buy some Force India merch, and if they redo the because I mean, the, the, the pit guys are all still in orange, which is kind of weird. They didn't get time to make new to make new pit crew suits in time and all that. But um, yeah, uh, I, I would happily bought some merch, and then I saw that bikini shot, and I'm like, oh god. No, it's okay. okay. You can send it to me. You can send it to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like just referencing the RJ O'Connell at one two three Any Street, Chattanooga, Tennessee (laughs) X Y Z Purple Pink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like you can even in what in the picture, it's either Esteban Ocon like knew how awkward the situation was, or he was just being awkward teenage boy Esteban Ocon. (laughs) 
Or, yeah, I think <laughs> awkward teenage boy is the perfect analogy. Because I, I joked on Twitter saying, listen, Ocon looks like that 14-year-old kid in high school who is randomly hugged by the hottest girl in school and doesn't quite know what to do with himself afterwards. Like, he's got, like, a, he's got like the strangest boner right now. It's ridiculous. We've all been there in school, guys. When you're, when you're like me, the socially awkward ones, when you randomly get, get the hug from the hot chick, it's like, uh, uh, what just happened? <laughs> That's Ocon, to a T. That is me. I, I, like, I want to almost adopt Ocon as, like, my large adult son at this point. But um, I've, <laughs> I'm already tired, but... Ocon, we can relate to you, sir. We we, we understand your pain. It, it, it's a very awkward feeling. <laughs> but uh, anything else you guys want to talk about from Australia before real quick before we move on? Uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I think RJ's we still have pa- wrapped up what was. I would give it a. I would give this race a solid six out of ten. Oh, I was leaning uh, towards went- like seven. I went five. I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, the only thing intriguing about this race, really, was the fact that the car in the front was red and not silver. If this was any other Grand Prix, this would be shit on. Universally. By people. But... I gave it a five on my race review. I thought it was an average race. I felt like the nuance of Vettel being at the front was what made it more captivating than it probably deserved. But, um, I've always been a harsh critic, so... I I openly accept my role as like the shit judge on every reality TV show, where it's like there's always one bad guy. I'm I have no problem being the bad guy judge on this one, basically. But um, King Seven, very generous. Simon Cowell is any indication you're at least going to be at or near the top of the uh, the star and the reasonably fast car leaderboards every year. That works. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with trousers being like nipple high at this point. But <laughs> I'm okay with that. So um, yeah, that just about does it for the Australian Grand Prix. Uh, let we'll we'll take a quick musical interlude, then we'll talk about some other racing stuff and answer some of your questions in the mailbag. It's back. The mailbag is back. Hooray! Back in a sec. So guys, guys, yeah. our, ra- our, our our official race car Twitter adoptive NASCAR son, Kyle Larson. He won a race again. Yeah, again. he won his very first... Wait, he won uh, a race again? Why, why did everybody act like it was the first time he won a race? Because Lawson is our boy. Yeah, and we, we, we have very short memories, don't we, Mr. Uh, King? Yes, people don't remember. He won last year at Michigan International Speedway. But we'll forget about that because he won again this year. He takes his won- first career win for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle Larson picking up his second career NASCAR Cup Series victory at Auto Club Speedway in Fontana, California, his home track. A moment that was celebrated like it was his first win because it was his first win, but it wasn't his first win. Although, if you if you looked at NASCAR social media feed, you might believe otherwise. Did they mm-hmm. really act like? Did they really just uh, run it like it was his first career win? I think yeah, they, 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 they they were saying like finally on on their social media page and like look, this isn't finally like Larson's won a race before, hasn't he? Even I remember yes, that one. He won. He won with last summer. <laughs> Not oh. even a year ago. That was that was back in the days when Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards were still driving all <laughs> those many months ago. All those many months ago when they had, you know, a big U.S. cellular phone company as their title sponsor. 
Yeah, back when races were in one stage instead of three. Man, that seemed like so, so, so long ago. But our one of our adopted sons in the youth movement of the NASCAR Cup Series finally breaks through with his second career win and puts himself likely in contention for the championship playoffs at the end of the year, by which point we will probably have checked out of NASCAR. F1 wasn't the only racing series that raced in Albert Park this weekend. We also had the Virgin Australia Supercars. And uh, Penske Team DJR finally realized, oh yeah, we're Penske Team. Pretty good at this stuff. (laughs) Being Penske, we should should start winning before, you know, um, the boss heads down here and, like, starts firing people. Yeah, yep. it was. Um, they had four uh, non-championship sprint races at the Albert Park Street Circuit that were about a dozen laps long. They were good fun. It was especially good fun to check out the weird Australian advertisements. Uh, Scott <laughs> McLaughlin won the first race. Uh, Fabian Coulthard then won races two and three. So that's three races on the trot for Penske Team DJR with Chaz Mustard of Pro Drive Racing Australia winning the fourth and final race. These races do not count for points, but for Penske Team DJR and their Ford Falcons, it was an important breakthrough and sets them up for sets them up well for later on in the season, where they will hopefully take the fight to Red Bull Racing Australia. Um, also, Nick Percat was in the headlines for two reasons: one, had a had a rainbow colored car to support equality, um, which was a good thing. It was a very beautiful car and for a very good cause. Absolutely. Um, the second reason is because he lost the brakes at 250k and had a frightening incident um, during the first race of the season. What happened exactly? Because I've not seen this incident. Okay. Um, it was um, so. This was in the first race of the season. Um, Nick. Percat well, the, the first race of the weekend. <laughs> first race of the weekend. Percat um, lost the brakes going into the braking zone at turn one. Spun Jesus. out and then tagged um, the Holden of Lee Holdsworth um, back end first, hit him right in the right rear quarter panel, um, triggering this massive two car collision that brought out a safety car. Thankfully, both drivers were all right. Um, but man, it, it could have been a whole lot worse. It brought back memories of when Takuma Sato and Nick Heidfeld had their crash in the O2 Austrian Grand Prix, a race oh, that God, was yeah. remembered for that and only that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Ask a Brazilian, uh, they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, a brake failure at 250 clicks. That's a terrifying fall. Did the, did the livery turn brown by any chance? Um, no? it, it might as well have. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's that's not promising. Um, oh dear, but... Uh, can we talk a little? We'll talk a little bit of MotoGP on here as well. We'll, we'll see. We'll save the full analysis for Bike Live later this Listen week. Listen to Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 Network. Plug, yeah. plug, plug, <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Shameless plugs on this network, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back on it as well because Rebecca James came on last week and set the studio on fire. I wasn't best happy with that, and and she'd also turned Scouse, which was a bit concerning. I don't know how this happened. Apparently, Sam Lowe's does things to her. Uh, oh my god. <laughs> um, I'll let you fill in the emotional blank on that one. But, uh, guys, it's real. Maverick Vinales is really fast, you guys. <laughs> and we're not so talking I- like like really fast. He's, he's fast, fast, fast. 
like he's he won his first race on a Yamaha fast. Like, uh oh. <laughs> like, it was a cha- it was a chaotic weekend in Qatar. Uh, like Qatar, as you know, is basically a desert at this point, and deserts don't normally have these sort of problems. But there were thunderstorms all weekend long in Qatar. It was a heavily rain-affected weekend from Friday all the way through. The track got faster and faster, then it was a complete washout on Saturday morning. Um, We didn't have a qualifying session because the rain was so bad. They tried to uh, break out the Qatari national curling team to clean the track up, and that failed. (laughs) Um, Shout out to Fran for that joke, by the way. That wasn't me. I wish I could take credit for that one, but I couldn't. But they tried to sweep it dry. Didn't work. Qualifying was cancelled, so they went by the practice times instead. So it turned out Maverick Vinales was on pole from Iannone, Marquez, and Johan Zarco? <laughs> yes, that's Johan Zarco, the Moto2 champion. And um, guys, we were so close to a French victory, y'all. We were so close. Oh, Zarco. Yeah. I, if, you, if you have not seen the race, Johan Zarco was comfortably leading and starting to pull away. Um, en route to the first French rider to win a premier class race in about 20 years, and then he just low-sided it. And that broke my heart. And I didn't even see all of last season, because MotoGP in North America is now carried on a network that is carried in about six households. Good <laughs> shit. Um, Be in sports, everybody. Be in sports. As I was going, that really awkward sports network you get advertised whenever you're on a totally legal stream, basically. <laughs> but uh, yeah, poor Zarko binned it. Ian Oni binned it from the leading pack as well, and that was another heart wrencher because I would have loved to have seen Ian Oni win that Grand Prix out of spite for Ducati letting him go, probably harshly, and then taking it to Maverick Vinales who had just gotten the upgrade to Yamaha. That would have been really funny. Also, Zarko winning on last year's Yamaha would have also been equally funny. And because I also really like Johan Zarko. He's a boy. And, like, the backflip celebration is gold. I would have loved to have seen that at some point to the audience of literally some people. But um, it was chaos. And, like, MotoGP normally get it so right with, with like, changeable weather calls. They're, they're geniuses at it. They're really, really good at coming up with a compromise. But... Like, they really didn't want him to ride this race. Like, it was crazy. Like, they were begging the MotoGP guys at the front of the grid after the first restart got cancelled to say, listen, it's too dangerous. The back of the track is too wet. Valentino Rossi was saying this. (laughs) And I must admit, it was funny seeing Valentino Rossi, the guy that skips all the safety meetings, suddenly getting up to the front of the grid saying, guys, cancel the race, it's too wet. (laughs) That was kind of funny in itself. Which would have cost him a podium. Yeah, because he would go on to finish in third because Valentino Rossi plays possum when it comes to how bad his bike is or isn't, basically. Because he was saying all testing, oh yeah, the bike's terrible, the bike's this, the bike's that, we can't push at the max. What happens? Challenges for the win. Why? Because Valentino. Don't ever fall for when Ric Flair drops to his knees and starts begging and pleading because that's just going to end in a dick punch. (laughs) Yep. Yes, it does. That's that's the perfect analogy. 
<laughs> that's so true. It is so perfect. Yeah, Mark Marquez would go on to finish in fourth after probably picking the wrong tyre as well. Also, some shout-outs to the, to the support classes. Frankie Morbidelli winning his first race ever in Moto2. He's finally a race winner for the first time. Congratulations to him uh, for, for that one. And in Moto3, where Joanne Mir, the Rookie of the Year from 2015, so 2016, I should say, finishing, uh, in the, finishing for the Moto3 win. If you've never watched Moto3, Go out of your way to watch Moto3 and thank me later. 13 bikes fighting for the win over the line within a second. As you I do. I saw the screenshots and I'm like, man, this this race looks fun. <laughs> That's every Moto3 race, Mr. O'Connell. Every one of them. Unless it rains. Like, it's amazing. Moto3, rain actually ruins races. It's weird how that actually works sometimes. Like, normally rain makes it exciting... In this case, rain actually makes Moto3 races worse. It's it's very weird how this turns out. And unfortunately, there's no Powie in Moto3 anymore either. He's now in Moto2. So the rain god has moved classes too, which is also very unfortunate. No shock Powie victories yet. Who knows? Maybe later in the year we'll get one. <laughs> Maybe yeah. in Moto2 instead. But um, yeah... Shout out to John McPhee as well, second for the British Talent Cup team as well. So that's a nice little mention for them as BT Sport lowered all their pants and um, broke out the lube um, to celebrate such Britishness. I had, on... I had no idea that Valentino Rossi was from Stoke-on-Trent. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, you... apparently from BT Sport's uh, commentary bias, this coming from a, a Rossi fan. I'm just like, wow, they go hard on some... They go hard <laughs> for this guy who is very not British. If you ever watch a MotoGP race on BT Sport, they have Keith Ewan and Julian Ryder on commentary. And Julian Ryder is a god of commentary. He is amazing. Keith Ewan, well, let's just say whenever Valentino Rossi is in contention, his trousers drop to his ankles and he assumes the position because it just happens every time. It's like, oh, man of the race, Valentino Rossi for finishing third. Like, completely to the form book of Valentino Rossi. And he completely ignored, like, a fellow Brit, Scott Reddin, who was actually having a really good day in seventh place. And Alicia Spagro, who pulled off Aprilia's best ever finish in MotoGP since they've come back by finishing in sixth place. But no, Rossi is the man of the hour. God, Chief Ewing gets on my goddamn nerves. And this is why I'm glad I watched the world feed where you have the, the 12 out of 10 volume gravelly sounds of Nick Harris. Yes, he is great. Nick Harris, and I think it's uh, Matthew Burt who's on commentary now for the World Feed. And uh, yeah, like we're stuck with Hewan and Ryder. And that's a shame because Ryder is brilliant, but he's he's shackled by Keith Hewan doing play-by-play, who is just not very good. And he just he's just annoying more and, than anything Toby else. Toby Moody is not coming back because he's now been the, announced as the new lead announcer for WEC on television. Oh, look. So to uh, add look, on to his role <laughs> as... as uh, Red Bull Global Rallycross commentator. <laughs> yep, Moody's over there now. And I was like, okay, I'm really happy for Toby Moody because he's like one of the best, if not the best, motorsport commentator in the business. But it's the WEC, and it's like, I, I have no desire to watch the WEC. And it's like, ugh, hey, it's hey, like, oh, watch Global Rallycross, though. Okay. Global Rallycross is fun. It's where all your favorite X Games stars of the past pull off incredible overtakes on the final lap of the last race of the season. For with to Brian Deegan. With championship implications. With championship implications with defending champion Scott Speed. 
and you, I was a f- and the entire event heat race the semifinal and final take place in the course of an hour. So yeah, you know, like to be fair, like Patreon backer and good friend Jake Callahan has been begging me to watch Global Rallycross this year. I will give it a shot at some point this year. Definitely. That is a promise. You heard it here first on the podcast. And they put all that their st- races on YouTube, so it's impossible for you not to watch. Lit! My favorite kind of, of race coverage when it's uploaded to YouTube. Excellent. I go through about 17 hours of YouTube vids a day. So that is excellent. Nice one, King. Um, this, is, this is why you're here. <laughs> the support drain is, is, is ongoing quest to watch new motorsport. Look, I gave NASCAR a go, okay? Everybody <laughs> asked me, like, you gave NASCAR a go. I watched two whole races this year, and I didn't like either of them. So please stop telling me to watch NASCAR. And if you tell me to watch touring cars, I will stab you. I know where you live, okay? <laughs> Joe Ellis, who always sends in every time saying, Dre, when are you watching touring cars? Okay, I will watch the first BTCC race event of the season as well, okay? (laughs) King, King, somewhere like Connor and and Josh Bond, who are huge touring cars fans and have been begging me to watch it, are like listening now, going, yes, yes, Dre's finally watching touring cars again. You know, supercars are just bigger, shoutier touring cars. They're, they're, in my opinion, the better touring cars. Yeah. Guys, we're being, we're being taken off the air. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, okay. I will watch more of this supercar stuff. I, 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 I promise I will try, okay? That is the best I can give you at this point, all right? People are trying to make like blood come out of a rock here on this one. But um, <laughs> should we do the mailbag before we go? Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. questions this time around because obviously it's the first my bag in a couple of weeks or so but uh, thanks everyone that's sending in questions by the way rhino gt4 the famous youtuber asks so how's that ferrari narcotic it is delicious <laughs> i just say if it the ferrari like- narcotic were a flavor of snapple uh unofficial sponsor of motorsport 101 what yes flavor <laughs> would it be I'd say it would be a delicious kiwi strawberry flavor, I would say, on this occasion, because it tasted delicious, and I celebrated with a bottle as when I got into work after watching the Australian Grand Prix. The narcotic is delicious. All hail the narcotic. It's a beautiful, delicious thing. Yes, sir. I'm here for this. Thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, the Ferrari narcotic is gold. Let's hope it doesn't wear off sometime around Bahrain. Right. Luke Frost asks, if you were a, lo- a young driver in single-seaters at the moment, would you try to get to F1 or get a potentially lucrative move to sports cars? F1. Mm-hmm. F1. Sports cars, because you are guaranteed, because you have a much higher chance of being on the main stage of an event. I mean, yes, you're not an F1, but you do have a chance to compete. You do have a better chance to compete for overall victories with a with a factory or at least a pretty solid customer team. King, opposing view? F one, man, world championship. I, I just need I just need that world championship in my life. The World Endurance Drivers Championship is a driver is a world championship as well. Ask Mark Weber. 
<laughs> I need I need the world drivers championship in my life. Not not endurance drivers, just drivers. No no added on subcategory. King, I want you to say this to Sebastian Buemi's face one day. <laughs> Try him. He, 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 he will fight you on the side of the street. <laughs> me, I am. I'm with RJ on this one, and this is amazing that me, the guy that doesn't watch sports cars, is actually coming out and saying that sports cars might be the better way here. But for me, F1 is a massive case of betting against yourself, and even that's not a guarantee either. And the talent pool in F1 has never looked around that space, never looked brighter last year when you had guys like Pierre Gasly, Giovinazzi, Oliver Rowland. You know, even the guys like Norman Nato that were in range having really, really good seasons. Sergei Sorotkin, you know, Rafael Marcello, who was all in range to potentially get F1 seats. Some of them even getting practice opportunities as well. But, like, the way to get in, like, the last wall to punch to get through into F1 is now so hard to get into. And it's it's almost like a dead end where, like, if you... Maybe, actually on second thought, maybe F1, because at least that way you'll still get a decent sports car drive at the end, even if you end up being a bust. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the way to go. Like, shoot your shot, but like, you know, if you don't get it, hey, maybe you'll end up in, in, in the WEC at some point, or in sports cars, or in maybe the Blancpain GT series or something along those or lines. Or IMSA, or IMSA or Super GT. You never know. Sure. <laughs> there's, there's, that's the beautiful thing about motorsport. There's so many different paths you can go down. Phoenix. Uh, next question from La Massive Noob on Twitter. Speaking of the WEC, he asks: Should the WEC scrap GTE and move to GT3 at a limit of teams to not overcrowd it? Uh, no, I I don't think so. I know yeah. that there is the controversy over whether or not the GTE grid can have enough cars on a week to week basis outside of Le Mans, but I mm-hmm. mean, it still offers a compelling product. I would say that IMSA GT Le Mans, which is pretty much the same thing, it offers a whole lot more because you have the full-time presence of teams like Corvette Racing and BMW is involved, and they tend to have a much higher driver quality uh, across the board, more participation. Um, I don't think that GTE has run its course. GT3, GT3 is a good class. I'm just not sure if it's a... I don't know if it's a viable replacement for GTE. Yeah, and the and the a- and the ACO are real. We're always really on the fence about GT3 being in the 24 hours because they feel like the speed differential between the GT3 and the Le Mans prototypes are way too, like the gap is way too big for them to be safely on track with each other. Let's remember that they were very on the fence about GT3 cars being featured on a support event for the same <laughs> yes. weekend. Mm-hmm. This is also the same ACO that would not let LMP2 cars uh, be in contention for overall victories like they were in the old American Le Mans series of yesteryear, where Team Penske's Porsche RS Spider was beating the likes of Audi in straight fights. Yep, that might be an issue. <laughs> Last question of the night from Henry Chapman, who asks, What is the best motorsport picture you've ever seen? Well, this is a really good question. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that's going to be very difficult to just think of on the spot and also describe since we're doing this show over an audio medium. Yeah, it's like you didn't really think that one through, did he? <laughs> but um, f- for me, in recent times, I did genuinely love the picture of Nico Rosberg at Japan, whether you can see how much the car bends 
through the first sector of the track last year. I thought that was a stunning photo. Um, summed it up really, really well for me, just how, just how crazy G-forces and F1 cars and all that stuff can be. As a, as a mechanical image, it's it's a really, really great one. So hang on, let's extend this out a little bit further before we go. Any particularly, truly great sports pitches you've seen that stand out to you? Mm. How about that? Mm, goodness, there's, there's just... Cause, wow, it's... Because I, I have one for you that I think was interesting. Like, for me, and this is not one of those like generic ones like Muhammad Ali when he knocked out Sonny Liston. For me, it was like Usain Bolt. I think it was the 2013 World Championship in Russia, which took place in the middle of a thunderstorm. And as Bolt runs through the curve to celebrate his victory, an actual lightning bolt is up there in the background. That is one of the best sports photos I've ever seen. And I think Usain thanked the photographer who took it, and he took a full-size version that's now in his house, which I thought was really cool. Um, so for me, I think that's another really, really cool one that's in there. Just, that's just me. If, if anybody else has got one to chip in, feel free. <laughs> um, I I want to I submit um, one from the world of supercars. It is the image from the end of the of the very dramatic 2014 edition, the one won by Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris. Um, mm-hmm. It is the lasting image of Jamie Wincup's co-driver, Paul Dumbrell, sitting in the garage, knowing that his co-driver has run the car out of fuel unintentionally. Oh, knowing that he Knowing that he has pretty much lost the race after... After he had passed out after getting out of the car for one of his stints in the race. He'd given a lot. So they're in position to win... And then Mostert goes by with just a couple corners left on the final lap of the race. He knows he's got no hope. So all you see is Paul Dumbrell just staring into his monitor. And you can catch the soul just gradually leave his body with this open, vacant, blank stare. Just like, yep, yep, that's it. We're we're done for. Yep. Yo, yeah, that I do remember. Like Johnson has, every time I've met Johnson in person, he tells me the same story every time, and it gets more and more heartbreaking every time you hear it. And this is regarding Jamie Wincup, who's like one of the most winning supercar drivers ever, where he actually looks almost like a sympathetic baby face. It's kind of weird how that plays out in the end, basically. But it reminds me a lot of that Fernando Alonso 2012 stare in Brazil after. <laughs> narrowly losing out on the world title and the hard camera on the world feed just pans out to him staring into space in the helmet like oh no not again it's just <laughs> that like that is just the, like there's your mad waltz like background music right there like that's the one for me that stands out more than anything else in terms of motorsport as well that image is one that i will never forget like also to be fair i was too busy like celebrating gangnam style after vettel won that third title in my house just just throwing that out there (laughs) but just just the polarizing shot of alonso staring into space and then in the in the paddock, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when Sebastian Vettel pulls up after winning the title, the first man to congratulate him was Michael Schumacher, and just like almost like seeing the passing of the torch take place, that was just such an iconic moment for me because like Schumacher was my favorite driver of all time, and he was my first love in terms of Formula One, and seeing him like effectively hand the reins over to Sebastian as in what was his final Grand Prix, that was just. 
Oh, that was all the feels right there. <laughs> Any, anyone for you, King? Ooh, I, a lot come to mind. I, I particularly, I think last year where you know, yeah, we did it. <laughs> last year, where uh, Carlos Munoz came second in the Indianapolis Grand in the Indianapolis Five Hundred for what the second time in his career, and he's just mm-hmm. you know crying in his car. Oh God. Do you remember Felipe Massa's one in Brazil 2008 after like, he just burst into tears when he stopped the car after winning the race? Yeah. When he's thumping his chest on the podium knowing that he's won the race but lost the title? Yes, that was good as well. Also, shout-outs to Ayrton Senna versus Nigel Mansell racing towards the first corner oh, yeah. of the inaugural Spanish Grand Prix where you have like the, uh, the vapor trails coming off the front tires. That's always fun. That's like... Every Formula One fan's like boner moment right there. It's like, look at this side by side, cars racing, wind coming off the rear rings, Formula One. You're <laughs> basically right there. That's a, that's a really really good one. The time, how about when Senna and Prost banged into each other at Japan at the chicane, and they're side by side. That's a, that's another pretty crazy one. Like I, I'd never seen that until I'd seen the docufilm Senna, and uh, whew, that was intense. To say the least. Do you have a favorite um, motorsport-related GIF of all time? Mm. Um. Oh God, that's a good one. Um. I like the Vettel Malaysia 2015 podium jump. The one that, <laughs> that's great. The Especially one that goes when it loops. Yeah, it loops, and you got the yay, and it's like yay, and it's like yay, and it's <laughs> that like Kota just made that one first, and uh, Kota are just the best. Uh, their Twitter account, but. Uh, uh, I remember, like, seeing, like, I used to describe near misses as just seeing, like, Felipe Massa's card, like, go off at Turn 1 Canada 2014 when Vettel's got the Vettel on board for the last lap as there's, like, Felipe Massa and Sergio Perez's heaping cars drive past the onboard shot. <laughs> like, that was an amazing gif. Like, oh, my God. Like, that was crazy. I think one that's um, become a recent favorite to me was last year's Mexican Grand Prix where Charlie Whiting has to enter the cool-down room to escort Max Verstappen out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was gold. Um, that was I, gold. I have, uh, I have a couple of ones. Um, the near-miss that Felipe Nazar had with a bird in the 2013 GP2 event at Monaco. Oh, Where yes. the bird is just flying up in slow motion and just... Barely misses getting clobbered by Nazar's tire. And the second one from the very well-remembered 2015 Australian MotoGP round where Andrea Nianoni slides right into those DMs past Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi to lead. Oh, yeah, that was one of the best overtakes I've ever seen in bike racing. That was... He'll tell his grandkids about that one. Yeah, he'll tell about the time I dive-bombed the shit out of Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi at the same damn time. At the <laughs> same damn time. Yes, sir. And of, that course, is I, like... of course, I have to mention it since we're talking gifts. Yes, I do enjoy the cap toss gif of that moment yes. from the United States Grand Prix cool-down room. <laughs> The, the pettiest moment of Nico Rosberg's otherwise glistening career. <laughs> the cap toss. <laughs> well, well, Lewis didn't have to toss him the cap. Nico could have got up and picked it up himself. <laughs> and who do we blame for that one? The answer to that question is yes. Uh, 
Oh dear, oh dear. Like, I, I, I can't guilty that you to admit as a Rosberg fan to say that you, the, the Cactus is one of your favourite gifts. Nah, just, nah, just, nah, I just love it because screw Lewis, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that will just about do it for episode 79 of Motorsport 101. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, King's broken me right now. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> composure, Dre. You're nearly there. Composure, composure. Right. Just as you can catch us before we go, Motorsport101.net, our website. We're on YouTube.com/forward/slash/Motorsport101. We're on Facebook.com/forward/slash/Motorsport101. Keep checking out the Thirty and Thirty series. It's grand finale. We'll be out on Thursday. This episode will probably be out maybe just before that we'll have to wait and see um i have to talk to lewis about that one real quick but uh we'll, we'll probably sort something out where that's concerned um so yeah we're on there we're on twitter at motorsport underscore 101 and our, our personal twitter's at harrison 101 hd at rj o'connell and at ryan eric king that's with two k's and uh yeah if you really like us you can back us on patreon patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 back us on there the next target 125 a month if we do that we will give away a t-shirt every single month and every patreon backer gets double the chance to get to win it hooray we may may fire it out of a cannon very american like we're gonna we're gonna fire the gun between rj's legs and to fire a t-shirt into the air it's gonna be glamorous and great or we'll be like Hinchcliffe where we can't get the gun to work. <laughs> Either way. Either way, we'll, we'll find some dramatic way of sending it out to you guys. So thanks very much for where that's concerned. Um, but yeah, weekly Google Hangouts coming soon to the YouTube channel. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm going to be memed a lot into oblivion. May the good Lord help me. The first one will probably be this Sunday. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, that will do it for Motorsport 101. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King and RJ O'Connell. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Woo-hoo! Peter Gussie! You are the one!